as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Uh, Tim Snyder from Matador Economics, matadoreconomics.com. Check out the newsletter. Is joining us here on your 956 Drive Home Markets, reacting to OPEC. Uh, so first off, what happened with OPEC and why are gas prices now turning up? <laughs> well, OPEC did what we always expect OPEC to do, which is it was they tell you one thing and two months later they changed their mind. They came out Sunday with a... Uh, <clears throat> slightly over one uh, one million barrel decrease in production from OPEC partners. It's OPEC plus. Uh, OPEC plus means the Russians and a couple of other little bitty nothings, but mostly OPEC plus is OPEC plus the Russians. And what that did was that cuts production back to where they can get the price of their basket of offerings out of OPEC back above 85 closer to $90 and put money back in the Saudis and the Russians coppers, governmental coppers. And that's what happened over the weekend to our prices. I was hoping this was just, you know, in like in preparation of, of uh, the Easter holiday weekend, like, Hey, you know, demand is up and that's what's driving the prices. I was hoping it was that. You know, Zach, I wish it was that. I wish that was the case. The problem we're dealing with is this. Ordinarily, because they do this all the time, and we have been, over the years, we've been very prepared for this sort of thing. This time, unfortunately, we're not. Our SPR is, is about half what it was when President Biden took office. That's number one, which puts us in a bit of a, a riskier situation, okay? Second of all, if you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, the political pressure that the Biden administration is putting on fossil fuels, we are now in a situation where it's more difficult, more costly, and more time-consuming to be able to increase production like we ordinarily would. And so we don't have we don't have the umph in the market to be able to do that. Third of all, we used to be the market maker. We made the price. We made um, we were able to balance when OPEC pulled something like this. We could increase production or decrease production, do whatever to keep a balance in the market. We do not have that ability anymore as we're being overtaken by OPEC. And that that's really sad. <clears throat> Joining us on 710KURV from Matador Economics is Tim Snyder. Uh, all I can think of right now is the White House statement that they put out today. Oh, we're disappointed that OPEC decided to cut back on it. It was like no teeth to it. Kind of like, oh, it's okay. I guess if they want to, we really can't do anything about it. Very wishy-washy, very defeatist, it sounded like. Is there really no effort uh, to put forth that from the Biden administration that they're gonna, that we're going to you know, open up the pipes on our end? No effort, none whatsoever, and they're not. They don't want to. 
you know, if you if you look at this, if you step back, because I, I had to do this myself. I actually had to step back, look at, at, at where, where this all stands, and I realized when I look at it from a different perspective that by reducing not only our SPR, but our influence around the world with regards to oil and gas and the, and the influence that we had with our bigger companies, and by looking at where <clears throat> making it more difficult for our production to increase, it makes it more difficult for us to manage prices. That's number one, but more probably more importantly, Zach, it's the fact that if you continue to decrease and put pressure on our infrastructure and our ability to produce, then at some point we have no choice but to go to the renewables and because our coffers are empty and we have no bargaining chips. There is a lack of leadership in this right now that the United States simply will not take. How are we doing on the, I'm afraid to ask, the reserve? Because not, not only are we having to supply oil to our very oil-hungry nation, but at the same time we've been trying to uh, refill the, the the strategic reserve. And I know you mentioned a little bit of this earlier, but where how are we standing on that? I haven't done a thing. <laughs> Still at 370.1 million barrels, just like it has been for the last four months. Um, they talked to, they talked about maybe increase, uh, adding a million barrels back into that thing. One million barrels is what uh, uh, the uh, energy secretary uh, mentioned. But that's all. We didn't get anything out of her. They didn't do anything. They didn't like the price. Even though the price has dipped into the 60s, they didn't do one thing. And we're still at the exact same point. They've not, not lifted a finger, and they're not going to. Tim Snyder is with Mandor Economics, our guest in your 956 drive home. Hey, I know there's been inklings and rumors and little stories floating around happening in the east about them wanting to play around with who commands the the currencies around these here parts uh, what have you been hearing oh, so far oh man zach that's the, that's the million dollar question one of the things that that we most recently i think have gotten very concerned with is the fact that back back in the late 40s and then up and through the 50s, we had an agreement called the Bretton Woods Agreement that established the United States dollar as the world trade currency. The U.S. was the most stable economy, though grow was the biggest growing economy. And so by trading in U.S. dollars, you knew that the transaction was going to be safe, sovereign, okay? Um, the Chinese made an agreement with the Saudis um, <clears throat> and bought crude oil from the Saudis, and they, they traded yuan. And then over the weekend or Friday, the Chinese convinced the Brazilians to make a sale um, uh, from their uh, uh, coffers, and they used the yuan again. And then over the over the weekend, the Indians made a trade, and they decided to use their rupees to make a trade and not use the U.S. dollar. That actually tanked the U.S. dollar a little bit today took a little bit of the shine off that penny, and that can hurt the U.S. economy. There is an all-out effort this, this by the world's bad guys to take advantage of the United States because we're standing there arrogant looking like we don't care. <clears throat> how, how are we doing? Are we stable right now? That was, that's what I was thinking as you were bringing that up. Are we stable right now? Is this a lot? Of, is a lot of this stuff a long time coming? The kind of like the the karma coming back to bite us for a lot of really bad decisions. 
Well, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to say that, but no, I, I think this is a totally different plan that has been executed in the deep state for quite some time. Their goal is to destabilize the wealth of the United States of America, move those, move those assets and those funds from one pocket to a different pocket that's controlled by uh, a different ruling class, if you will. And that is, I, I, I'm concerned that the new order that's being created with Russia, Iran, North Korea, um, uh, the um, I'm in, I'm including in that uh, Iran, uh, and then of course now I'm starting to think, and I'm, I'm more convinced that India's involved, and some in South America, and there was also uh, some word that the South Africans were actually going to use their uh, own currency or possibly switch to making trades using the the Chinese yuan, and so. That's very destabilizing from a fundamental standpoint. That's a completely different animal than the stability of the banking system and the economy in the United States. It's at a whole new order of magnitude um, more difficult. Let's just put it that way. Is this something that is, uh, I don't know, temporary is not the word I want to use, but is it like in a preemptive uh, defense yeah. uh, defensive posturing for what the global economy is currently reflecting i know we've been talking about recessions and stuff like that for the past several several months but is is this what they're doing yes, is, is it just posturing this is posturing this is the the first shot across the bow and the recession that we've been talking about and unfortunately been focused so much on um is just going to be a consequence of what happens with this um uh, this is a deeper this is a deeper issue um, taking the U.S. position, the, taking the U.S. out of that leadership position, that make, creating that void in leadership is something that will destroy world economies because we have spent so much time, you know, having other countries depend upon us to clear their, to clear their transactions and do the trade. Um, this could be very detrimental to the United States as a whole in the way we see it today. Uh, any good news? That's Tim? great news. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> any 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 good news for the past seven days? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. Good news. I went uh, fly fishing with my sons for my sixty fifth birthday up at the, on the White River in Arkansas, and we caught a lot of fish. It was a wonderful time. So there's good news for you. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 good news is outside still exists. It's peaceful. It's calm. Go outside and just enjoy yourself. That's a good one. Exactly. I like that. That that is a that is a, a very bright and, and cheery side of it. Hey Tim, thanks a lot for the update. As usual, check out the newsletter at matadoreconomics.com. That's Tim Snyder, oil and gas expert and economist, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radiopotomy app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. 
Hey, uh, but right now it's tax season. We're coming up very close to a deadline. Uh, the 18th, I believe. It's the 18th or the 19th. Oh no! Because I got my taxes done in January. So <laughs> I, I, I apologize to anybody who has uh, yeah, he not done really theirs care. yet. He just but uh, he Bill like Dendy is a CPA and money manager. He's our guest, and we love having him on the show to talk about money things. Uh, especially with the the taxes now that that deadline is fast approaching and i've been hearing that there's some scams out there that we need to be aware of can you tell us about those absolutely and to answer your first question yes we do have till the 18th to file our taxes uh the 15th falls on uh, the weekend and the 17th is a uh emancipation day in washington dc so it's a Mm. holiday in washington they don't uh, make us do our work that day so uh, we haven't th- those extra days to file our taxes. Oh, tell you what, uh, let me, let me hit the Tuesday. pause button real quick. Since we're talking about deadlines and stuff, what about extensions? Well, it's time to get your extension in. We get a free extension. Uh, you don't have to give an excuse. You just have to say, I need an extension. You've got till the middle of October to get your taxes done. But it doesn't mean you have the middle of October to pay them. So if you owe mm-hmm. something, you almost have to do the calculation to figure out mm-hmm. what you might owe. But uh, send the money in, or even if you don't have the money, Get your extension filed so you don't have the uh, failure to file uh, run alongside with the failure to pay. Okay. Bill Dendy is a CPA and money manager. He's our guest on your 956 Drive Home. And, yeah, we were about to talk about some of the scams that are out there for when you're filing your taxes. This time of year, the IRS generally puts out their warnings to consumers. And no differently this year, they've got the same warnings out that uh, – People are uh, feigning to be the IRS, calling you up, saying that in order to get your refund back or in a little quicker, if you'll just give us a little more information, uh, verify with us your Social Security number and your AGI for the year uh, and your bank routing number, we'll make sure you get your <laughs> refund extra special fast. Everything and people fall need. for it. Everything they need to get you that and, money. And, you know, and that's a greed tactic. They also use the fear tactic. The scammers are really good. I mean, they'll call you up and say, this is Bob from the IRS, and we have a federal agent going to come arrest you unless you pay immediately <laughs> what you owe in taxes. Well, that and sounds so legitimate because uh, I imagine there's like a million Bobs that work for the IRS. That sounds like such a of a IRS having sounding name. Well, I think it's kind of funny that people there's so many people that may have back taxes are so many people that are so afraid of the IRS that if they get a phone call, they're up paying attention. And if he says, well, for $100 cash, we'll let it go today. Uh, we'll come by and pick up $100 cash. Uh, I, that, that scares the heck out of me in a way that you've got somebody coming to your door that's a scamster. But uh, the IRS does warn that they won't do it that way. The way they do it is much gentler. Uh, they, they can still get you, but they don't do it like that. Yeah, I just wonder how bad things have to be for them to show up with, like, you know, the SWAT teams and stuff to pick, the IRS? You, to pick you up. You yeah, got, the you IRS. You yeah. got to be a real scofflaw, I think, <laughs> not just a late filer. So, how how does the IRS get in contact with you if there's a problem? Well, generally, they're going to send you a letter first, and that letter will uh, outline why they think there's a problem, uh, what the concerns are, and they'll either do just a letter audit or they'll ask you to come on come on in for a field audit. But uh, rarely do they come out and demand the money right away. Uh, that's just not their tactic. Um, yet. It's amazing to me the number of ways in which people are deceived because taxes are confusing. I mean, they seem to make it more confusing every year. And we had a whole bunch of changes last couple of years with the SECURE Act and the CARES Act and 
you know, good things coming to taxpayers maybe because there was free money out there. But the misunderstanding of all this has caused scamsters to take advantage of people who are looking for help. And so they'll turn to the Internet for help and they get some help that may not be legal. What kind of <laughs> I'm afraid to ask now, uh, how, how quickly can things turn south if you're asking for somebody for help with your taxes on the Internet? Well, it's kind of interesting. There's one common scan that says if you are an employer, that you may be eligible for the credit that was provided to employers during uh, COVID-19 uh, era. And in fact, some of them are advertising really aggressively that they will help you get your credit. Um, oftentimes, the people who are asking for the credit don't qualify. They didn't have a reduction of earnings over the period of uh, uh, 2020 and 2021, or they didn't maintain their workforce. And so they don't meet the requirements, but uh, the scams just say, go ahead and file for it. We'll, we'll figure the IRS may not audit this. Uh, even more egregious is there's a group that uh, will tell people how to create false W-2s. Uh, false W-2s since you earn money with a company and you've had a lot of withholdings. And when you file your taxes, you file asking for all this money you never put in. And they say that sometimes it works. The only problem is if it doesn't work and it gets caught, I mean, uh, the filing that type of return is a $5,000 fine just for the frivolous return. But then you've got criminal penalties to worry about. And the IRS will pursue people criminally. And there's a step-by-step instruction guide on how to do this scam. But now the IRS is on to it. I would not advise trying this scam because whatever you get back may be dwarfed by uh, time in jail or defense attorneys or other concerns that you may have if you get caught in this deal. You're listening to 710 KURV. Our guest is Bill Dendy, CPA and money manager. And we're talking about some of the things you need to watch out for before April 18th, tax day. Go ahead, Davey. Yeah, this is David Franken. Two questions. Actually, one, I suppose. Do you know anybody um, who has uh, what was he, claimed that they had deductions taken out that they really did not have taken out? And the only way they're going to catch you is if they audit, if they compare, compare two pieces of paper, right? They're going to compare what the, what the employer reports as, and then compare against what you report. But that's a criminal violation, correct? If you do it fraudulently, yeah. if you are creating your own W-2 with a mystery company uh, that you don't actually work for, that that's where it gets criminal. Now, as far as making a mistake on the filings, that yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, having numbers that don't line up or, uh, uh, I guess, transposing numbers, that happens regularly. And usually that's settled uh, pretty quickly through the uh, uh, mailbox audits and that they uh, can qu- – the Checking yeah. and double-checking is a computerized system now that with the employers report what they've got, the employees report what they've got, and the IRS can see if there's any discrepancy, and those pop up right away. And so it's important to make sure that you are putting all your 1099 income on your tax return. I've had people do uh, side gigs, and they're like, oh, this is just a small amount. It doesn't make that much difference anyway. But it's so easy to be caught because if you received a 1099, a similar document went to the IRS, and they're trying to match those up, and they can match those up very quickly. Well, it's very scary. A 1099 leaves a paper trail. If you're, if you're paid in cash and there's no, no paperwork attached to it, then um, you, you run the risk of being caught somehow. But um, 
and what was the other thing? If you're selling your own things, like at a garage sale or an estate sale, something like that, your own property, you don't have to pay tax on that, as I understand it. Uh, the, IR, the, the tax code says that we owe taxes on all income, no matter how derived. But you're getting into areas the IRS cannot police. And that's the cash yeah. transactions. That's why a lot of people want to be paid in cash. And why the IRS has certain rules that if you pay over yeah. $600 in cash, or even the rules they made with household employees that became such a big deal, to try to stop some of that. But you're right. Uh, it's very difficult to catch, and there's nobody has an interest to expose it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yet, be careful. Uh, some side jobs that people have paid in cash, they will still let the IRS know or even send a 1099 to a bad address of the employee uh, because they can take a deduction against their uh, other revenues uh, for, for uh, uh, salaries or wages paid. And so I've seen people say, hey, I got paid in cash, and I thought it would never be reported, and it still got 1099 address to another, and that didn't help with the IRS. Uh, I, well, I know that... So many things like this, if they're not auditable, uh, people aren't going to uh, uh, necessarily report them. And I do know that things like deductions used to be when you gave money to when you gave a bag of goodies to the Goodwill, it was up to you to be honest. What was yeah. that bag worth? And you say, oh, I don't know. I had a bunch of stuff in there. It's was, it was all pretty valuable. And you assigned a value to it. And then the IRS provides some pretty strict guidelines. And now they want you to actually list what date and you purchased the thing and what did you pay for it and what's the current value really? of it. And that's just so much work. I've seen a lot of people <laughs> quit listing. The I'm just going to throw donation. it out now. <laughs> that's all I'm going to do is just toss it. Hey, uh, Bill, thanks a lot for uh, bringing this stuff to our attention. Uh, if if there's any um, last thoughts or, or words that you have for things that we need to watch out for before tax day, uh, what would that be? Well, I would say the big thing is for people not to put off doing taxes or uh, if they feel like they're in a jam, not to ignore it. The IRS is slow, but their wheels of justice do grind forward. And I've seen a lot of people just got overwhelmed. I had a friend of mine that did uh, got some big 1099s from casinos. He started doing casino gambling. He didn't know how to offset his casino losses. And so he just didn't do his taxes for five years. <laughs> that can be problematic. If you got that problem, don't put your head in the sand. Call a tax professional. Get the thing resolved. But there's that's a, so that's a different kind of gambling there. <laughs> They're understanding about that, though, right, at the IRS? They, they, they know how befuddling sometimes. No? No? Okay. Unbelievably, I, the IRS can actually be kind and gentle. They really can be, but you do have to ask for their kindness and mercy. Yeah. And we don't know what it's going to be like going forward, but there have been a, a period where the IRS really was working with individuals, especially when they got behind on things. Does and it help to take weep? advantage of the uh, compromise settlements and such. <laughs> Does it help to cry and, and wring your hands in front of them? That'll be the, next, right, that'll uh, be the, the next discussion that we have. How to beg to the IRS. Thanks a lot, Bill. Appreciate it. CPA and money God bless you. Manager. Always a pleasure. Bill Dandy joining us on Newsock 710 KURV or 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. 
Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We say hello and K Onda to our friend Patrick's VTech from the Texas Tribune School Choice in the news. There's a vote coming up, and this has been one of the more. Th- this is my this is my framing of it. Uh, not dramatic, but it's been it's been kind of interesting to see the the execution in the messaging and some of the things that the governor and other representatives around the state have been handling this particular issue. So where do we stand right now, Patrick? Hey, thanks for having me on. Um, so yeah, this is a really big uh, week right now for uh, one of Greg Abbott's uh, top policy priorities this legislative session, um, and that is uh, the concept of school choice, um, which you know is generally uh, you know finding incentives through government funding to help parents take their kids out of the public school system and send them to other options, including private and religious schools. This is something that Abbott's been pushing really hard on. He's uh, ever since January, he's been going across the state holding public events, trying to build pressure on lawmakers to act on this. Um, and we're getting kind of the first real test vote on it in the House uh, tomorrow. Uh, there's going to be a budget amendment um, that they're debating that would basically prohibit any state funds um, for going toward the kind of programs that Abbott is pitching. And so the vote on this amendment um, is going to be a pretty clear indication of what the appetite is like for this proposal in the House, um, even though the actual legislation of this proposal has not reached the House floor yet. One of the big fascinating things about this is how this has been mostly, well, at least in my opinion, like it, or not mostly, but how much of a factor the inter-GOP vote has gone on school choice in taxes in particular. Where, where, does, where, do, where do allegiances lie on that one? Yeah, I mean, this is a one of those issues that, you know, sometimes isn't really a partisan split as much as geographic split. You have rural lawmakers, including rural Republicans, um, who have historically opposed these kinds of uh, proposals because they view them as detrimental to public schools, um, which are the lifeblood of their kind of close-knit communities. Um, you know, the public school in some of these communities is the biggest employer. Um, it's really the, the kind of, you know, the, the, really the heart and soul of the community. And so these lawmakers... Democrat or Republican in rural areas, they're fiercely protective of these schools and they don't want to vote for anything um, that, you know, either uh, via perception or reality will take away funding and resources from those public schools. Joining us on 710KURV from the Texas Tribune is Patrick Zvitek. Davis Rankin, your question. Uh, I noticed that when the governor, maybe two weeks ago, was speaking in Northeast Texas, one of the, the state representative, Republican state representative, from there was on the dais with him, but said later that he didn't didn't really support what the governor wants. Why why would he get on the yeah, same I mean, podium? This, what, what's the deal? Yeah, this is a great that's a great question, <laughs> and uh, you know it gets to what one of the topics we covered in my my story this week on this, which is that Abbott is going across these states these states I'm sorry going across the state appearing in these rural districts, and sometimes he's getting the local Republican lawmaker to appear with him um, and. Right now, these, these, you know, local rural Republican lawmakers who appear with him 
um, you know, it's not clear whether he's actually moving them or changing their vote on this. And it's not clear that just because they spoke at the event and introduced him um, means that they support his signature policy proposal here. It's kind of an awkward dance. These guys are caught in between something, you know, a policy that they oppose in principle and also their desire to, you know, to try to at least appear supportive of a governor um, who is popular inside their party who's well-known in their districts, often more well-known than them. And so it's kind of a, a tricky political dance right now for some of these local representatives. It, I think it's, I, I believe it's fair to conclude that the governor, at least, I don't know about others, thought that the time was right uh, for, for this. Um, ha, assuming that I'm right in my assumption, how did he so miss, he and they so misjudge the moment if it is as it appears to be? Right. Well, it's very. It is true that this is a politically popular policy. I mean, you, you no matter how you ask the question, um, you know, often no matter what kind of group you break it down by, it, it is politically popular, especially among Republican voters, and not just Republican voters in, in the big cities, but also in rural Texas. I mean, polling shows us that. Uh, but there is a disconnect um, sometimes between the political popularity of this issue and basically just the numbers in the legislature. And, you know, you can speculate for why that is, but, you know, one of the reasons, you know, one of the things we know is that these rural lawmakers have very close relationships with school administrators in their districts, teachers in their districts, um, you know, and other people who are kind of on the front lines of dealing with these education issues, um, you know, and they're listening to them. They're their constituents, too. And so it is a politically popular issue, but that doesn't necessarily translate into numbers in the legislature. Um, and we're going to we're going to see very soon, I think, um, you know, how much that translates into new support in the legislature or if it's still going to be an issue that is kind of dead on arrival in the House. And that's what's happening tomorrow. Uh, Patrick Svitek from the Texas Tribune joining us on 710 KURV. So tomorrow is the vote on an amendment? Yeah, so it's, it's so, so tomorrow the, the budget, which the lawmakers you know have to pass every session, it's going to be um, on the floor of the Texas House for consideration. And as part of that floor discussion, members are allowed to propose amendments. And what you often see is that members propose amendments on all kinds of pet issues. There's usually hundreds of them. It goes on for hours and hours, late until the evening, until the early morning the next day. And so, sometimes those amendments uh, don't prevail to the budget, but they at least provide a symbolic test vote on certain issues. And so what you have tomorrow is an amendment that will be considered that will say, you know, basically no state funds should go toward these school choice programs. And how the House votes on that will be a pretty strong indicator um, of how they may vote on the actual legislation when it comes to school choice. I hope that makes sense. Has there been any problems with the, the, the messaging of this on the most basic level? For example, school vouchers, school choice, uh, whatever you want to call it. Does the, does the general public, like Joe Everyman, understand what this topic is on the surface? Good question. Well, I think it's, it's been a little more politically, it's been a little more accessible of an issue, at least for Republicans in the past couple of years, because the way that Abbott and other supporters talk about this policy is almost in tandem with this discussion we've seen about, you know, curriculum uh, run amok at schools with, you know, you know, crossing a allegedly crossing the line when it comes to, you know, classroom discussions on race and gender and sexuality. Um, and then also it's been this discussion has also been tethered to parents frustrations 
with various COVID mandates that either, you know, kept their school shut down for longer than they wanted it to be or forced their kids to wear a mask when they didn't want to. And so it is kind of in terms of being able to hook this issue into other related issues, it is pretty a politically opportune time. And Abbott has said as much. Um, but the, the real question remains whether this kind of political storm that is uh, propelling it to the forefront is enough to just change the cold, hard math on whether there is enough support for it in the Texas House. Davis, final concise question. One of the things that really surprised me is that if you have a kid in private school now, you're not eligible for vouchers. Am I right about that? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Generally speaking, if if your kid is in private school now, you are not going to be eligible for a voucher. I that's believe that's the case uh, now, and I believe that there's a, there is kind of a debate within a debate right now in the legislature about whether these proposals they're considering are truly universal school choice if they don't extend also to students who are currently in those non-public schools. And so, yeah. um, you know, there are some complaints, you know, kind of on the right about the proposals that are going to yeah. legislature right now saying they're, they're not sweeping enough. And I, I assume... Um, you know, that'll be a point of discussion, maybe not tomorrow on the in the budget debate, but maybe once these, you know, uh, school choice bills actually uh, make it to the uh, House floor. If they do. Thank you. All right, Patrick. Thanks a lot for spending some time with us today to talk about you. it. That's Patrick Zvitek from the Texas Tribune. Check out his article at texastribune.org. This is News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 drive home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Davis Rankin, by the way, uh, please do me the honor of introducing our next guest. Our next guest is the Kitchen Wrangler. She's a Valley native. Her name is Melissa Guerra. I'm looking at uh, her website, which is Kitchen Wrangler, W-R-A-N-G, just like the pants, KitchenWrangler.com. And I'm not sure exactly how to describe you, Melissa Gare, except you're a, a food enthusiast, a cook. Uh, I think you used to do catering, didn't you? And you're becoming a bit of an anthropologist about food, which is why we're, well, one of the reasons we're talking with you now. So how are you? Fine. Thank you all for, so much for inviting me. I really appreciate being here. Now, I, I, I stopped at uh, Luby's and got some capirotada and brought it to work where it'll be consumed but every place i go capirotada is different everybody's got a different version and it occurred to me that i only see this at, at lent season lenten season and um that's correct so- yeah this is one of the reasons that i love the food in the valley i mean i was born and raised here but 
you know, we have some dishes that go all the way back to goodness, you know, 12th, 13th century, and we are still cooking them here in the Rio Grande (laughs) Valley. And I mean, it couldn't be more interesting in terms of talking about the cuisine of the United States. I mean, we have some old stuff here. It's pretty amazing. That's true. I, I can't even pronounce the name of the dish, much less figure out how to make it. <laughs> Capi rotata. Capi rotata. By the way, where does that name come from? I never thought about that. You know? Okay, so the the, the word, the root word, because uh, you had to be kind of a word nerd to figure out all this stuff. So a capirote, so capirotada, a capirote is a hood. And so in Spain during Lent, uh, the penitents would wear these hoods and march around in the streets and they would be atoning for their sins while uh, maintaining their uh, privacy. So uh, <laughs> Don't but, give the priest you know, now any, any ideas, the, Melissa. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. I hope, I hope my priest isn't listening. I'm not going to cast aspersions. But anyway, no, the, the capirotes weren't for the priests. They were for the, the folks of the villages and the cities. Yeah. And, and actually, if you go to Guatemala, if you go to Spain... These are still the processions and the pageants that are happening in the streets. People are wearing these big conical pointy Mm. hoods. And so that is a capirote. But a capirote can mean many different things. It can refer to uh, a cow that has the head, his head is like one color and the rest of his body is another color. Mm. Uh, But it can also refer to the robes of a a capuchin monk, you know, a a friar's robes as well. So it's a little tough to figure out every aspect of where the word capirotada and the the recipe comes from. Uh, I know I'm, I am old, but I am not as old as this recipe. (laughs) So, uh, so you have to kind of sleuth out all these little details that might give you some hints. And so, um, you know, when Davis Rankin calls me, I always get a little bit nervous because he thinks I'm smart. So I have to kind of, Shore up my just fake my, it. Just uh, fake my it. knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, worry. I'm Davis thinks he's smart too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, see, I think that's why we're friends. You know, <laughs> he's just birds of a feather. Uh, so I went into my archive and uh, looked up some information, and this is something that I didn't realize. But a capirotada, another word or another um, definition of a capirotada is. Are you ready? Are you ready, Davis? I'm ready. This is big. It's a mass grave. What? (laughs) (laughs) It can be a common mass grave. I don't know if I want to eat this now. Good Lord. Well, well, you never know what you're going to get. If you need Uh, enough of it, you'll be interesting. Yeah, but I I actually didn't know that until about an hour ago. Uh, I had always assumed that the capirotada had gotten its name from the capirotes that were worn during Lent. But it's actually, it might also be a reference to a mass grave. Because, I mean, if you eat a capirotada, like, it's like a lasagna. It's like all this stuff piled in there and, like, all these nuggets that are buried in the middle of it. And you don't Mm -hmm. know what you're getting. So it could come from quite a few different roots. Uh, So, but it's, it's a great conversation uh, you know, you you just don't know exactly what the root of it is. Yeah. But it did at one point in other of my research showed up that it did have meat in it at one point. And, you know, uh, as it morphed towards being a Lenten dish, then the meat disappeared and it became more more savory. But it still does have savory bits in it, like uh, 
like nuts and cheese. Mm -hmm. And the recipe that I have, you can go to my website and find a recipe there that I got from Mrs. Vela. And Mrs. Vela, like she knew how to make capirotada. She would um, saute onions in butter before she started making her capirotada. And so there's always like this this savory element. Oh, and she used uh, a ton of black pepper. Really? Capirotada as well. And we, yeah, no, we think of it as a dessert, but it has this really kind of yeah. interesting, savory uh, definition to it as well. Like you can't get away from it. Like the cheese has to be there. You know, even if people don't put in the black pepper and onions, like the cheese is kind of a thing. So you yeah. can't get away from that savory bit. So. Anyway, yep. there a lot to talk about. Uh, Melissa Guerra is, uh, well, her website is Kitchen Wrangler. She, go to kitchenwrangler.com and that'll, that'll explain everything. She's a Valley native and a cooking enthusiast. And, and um, we're, we're putting the capirotada into context. Yes, sir. This is one of those dishes that, well, I think the way I put it to Davis was you don't, this kind of technique where you're kind of lumping everything together, you don't really commonly hear that with dessert. Dessert always sounds like there's a there's a, a set goal, an objective. Hey, we're going to make this really sweet and attractive pastry-looking thing. This is this sounds like the recipe for a casserole or something. Well, yeah, yeah and it has kind of this Turkish element to it because a lot of mid- Middle Eastern foods or, or foods that are date back to the Romans – They'll incorporate stuff like honey or dried fruits into savory meat-based mm-hmm. dishes, you know, like a, a chicken with raisins yeah. or a chicken with almond and raisins, you know. And so you see that more in the Middle East. So there's capirotada, like there is so much to talk about with a capirotada, and you never quite get to the end of what all the possibilities are. Uh, but at the end of the day, you just need to make it and enjoy it and share it and talk about it. I just love this stuff. The, 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 we had a couple of young people here from the uh, Birding Center in Edinburgh, and I, as I always do, got up in their business. The the guy said he didn't know anything about it, right? Zach never— None of us. Zach didn't know anything about it, and he's from an Hispanic household. And the, the, the woman, the young woman, said, well, sure. Did your mother make it? Well, yeah, I'm Hispanic. But I'd run into a lot of Hispanics who didn't, you know, their mom didn't make it. So uh, it's one of these, I guess it's a dish that's super representative of us and of Spain and even the Moors who are in Spain. uh, Yeah, because they would have brought the Middle Eastern influence with them. Uh, So, you know, it's, it just depends on the household. Like, you know, uh, some households make a lot of macaroni and cheese and some households don't. Uh, I don't, uh, but other families have raised, you know, <laughs> generations on mac and cheese. So, you know, it just really depends on the household. There's no, you know, hard and fast yeah. rule on it. Uh, but I, I, um, in terms of talking about like our Valley food history, I really cannot think of another dish that says so much. Yes, I agree. What, what makes the dish that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, uh, <laughs> what, what makes it? It like I I can't, I can't just throw like you know macaroni and cheese and sugar and, and a throw a bunch of stuff together and call it that. Huh. Well, it is a bread pudding, and yeah. with all bread puddings that I have seen in my lifetime, it's an opportunity to use up everything that you have on hand. Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> so if you have it's kind old of a leftovers, bread, leftovers before we we have to sacrifice for Lent. 
We're getting it out of the kitchen. Not so much leftovers. I would say more stuff that's pantry stable. Like the Rio Grande Valley has a really deep ranching heritage. And so if you have stuff like raisins and nuts and piloncillo that's shelf stable, like those are the things that are going to go into your capirotada. You're going to stew it with cinnamon and uh, anise and cloves because those are shelf stable. So the aspect of having shelf stable ingredients makes total sense. When you're talking about the Rio Grande Valley, I Davis, I saw that photo that you sent me mm. of the capirotado that you picked up that had bananas in it, uh-huh. and the fact that that had fresh fruit in it and sprinkles. I take exception <laughs> with sprinkles. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought the sprinkles were a bridge too far, but <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't yeah. get out of it. Um, the bananas, well, but they are pantry stable, so I would have to say that the sprinkles are probably more authentic than that fresh banana <laughs> i thought the sprinkles just was us because every place you go that has ice cream they have sprinkles offered and um well do, do you uh, happen to have any on sale or a recipe at your website oh no i i have stopped catering that was too many daggum dishes to wash and i'm lazy so forget that uh and but, children no, y'all, yeah y'all can check out actually this week i will be posting a new recipe so make sure you follow me on instagram and Facebook, uh, because I've got a new uh, capirotada recipe coming out. Uh, but the one that I have on my website, I think, uses uh, dried cherries Ooh. and dried apricots. So it uses, like, different types of dried fruit. But the, sh- the shelf-stable aspect of the capirotada yeah. is another thing that's kind of a big deal. So, uh, anyway, I hope y'all aren't thinking about mass graves when you make capirotada. <laughs> it is really worth your time to make it. Well, I wasn't before, but I am now. KitchenWrangler.com. Uh, Melissa Garrett, thank you very much. We appreciate your time and your uh, your anthropology. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home here on 710KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.